and welcome to The Learning Project. I'm your host today, Stephanie Courtney. I would like to welcome you to our newest segment, Sending Strength and Love. Today's guest is Dr. Danielle Lane, a leading fertility specialist. You guys, you're in for a treat and you don't want to miss this. Hey everybody, it's Stephanie Courtney from The Learning Project. You guys, I am so excited today. I have a very special guest, Dr. Danielle Lane. I want to welcome you so much to our newest segment called Sending Strength and Love. You guys, we are sending you all the positive vibes today. I am so excited. You know, we've been going through a lot of different series talking about infertility, pregnancy, adoption, surrogacy. We're talking about it all because this is a part of everyone's life. You know, um, there's not one way to have a family. And you know, everyone's story doesn't look the same. And so I wanna bring stories that really resonate to individuals and really help them to understand what people's journey look like. And so Dr. Danielle Lane, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited for today. We are gonna be really going through different tips about when you're going through the process of infertility, what does it look like? Um, what should you do? How, what steps should you take? Anybody who knows my story, it was all over the place, right? <laughs> I tell you guys from the very beginning, um, I was just jumping from place to place to place. You read an article, you're jumping on whatever they say. Um, Dr. Danielle Lane is going to give us some great tips today and advice and we're gonna learn so much from her. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here and really excited to provide information. You know, I'm very passionate about that. So thanks for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So tell me, um, Dr. Lane, why are you passionate about women's health and um, what got you into this, this field? Well, you know, it's funny. When I started residency, I thought I was going to save the world um, um, and help everybody who was having teen pregnancies that didn't want them to find ways to contracept. And then I realized that the world didn't necessarily need saving on that front and that contraception was all over the place. Um, and that the reason that women were having kids as teenagers was not from a lack of contraception, but from a lack of a whole bunch of social issues that were impacting that. And I thought, mm -hmm. okay, maybe that's not really what I want to do. So then I um, started to think about, you know, who I was going to be as a woman. And I realized that what I was going to spend my life doing was balancing my career with my family. And that brought to the forefront for me the whole topic of family planning, but not family planning in the idea that we should contracept, which is how we talk about it in the United States, but family planning from the perspective of actually planning to have a family. Like, what does that look like? How do we think about when we want to have our kids? How do we protect and make sure that we're going to be able to have our kids when we want to have them? Um, and so that sort of drove me down the path of fertility and, and I've been doing that work ever since. I think what I find to be um, a long-term goal, I'll, I'll say, I'll spit it to the positive, a long-term goal would be to really see that we are improving in how we um, educate ourselves and our patients and women as a whole about our bodies and about our reproduction, right? We just don't mm -hmm. know. We don't know about our menstrual cycles. We don't know about what it means to try and get pregnant. We don't yeah. know what's normal. We don't know what's abnormal. And yeah. so when we are um, finding that there's a challenge in trying to conceive, you know, we really are at a loss and we don't know how to move forward. And I think we can do better than that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, in addition to that, 
you know, as you and I have, have briefly talked about, I mean, there are all these barriers for some patients that are different than others. And so I think that in addition to the fact that we need to just generally educate, we need to really make sure that there's cultural competency amongst all of the diversity around this topic. Because Love we, it. As, a, as a field, um, and really as a society have failed on that front. Hmm. We can do better. I, I, I love your passion for this area. And, you know, so many times when we're talking about family planning, we're talking about creating a family, you know, we run into different roadblocks. And infertility is one that many women face. It's like one in four women actually will face some type, some form of infertility. So this is something that's really common. And you kind of get into this habit where you go onto Facebook and you get Facebook knowledge and you get Instagram knowledge. And you're like, yes, Google knowledge. Google, it's nothing like Google to scare the mess out of you. That's true. <laughs> And so, you know, you are trying to get this knowledge, you're trying to figure out what to do. So if someone is having symptoms, I guess we should say this, what is the, what are the first common symptoms of infertility that people typically may not see or even they overlook? I would go a step back and say, what's normal, right? Mm -hmm. Because in order to know what's abnormal, you've got to first know what's normal, right? Yeah. So, you know, we used to talk in the OR about, you know, return, still talking about return things to normal anatomy okay so talk about what a normal reproductive cycle is you should be having a period every 25 to 35 days and it should be relatively regular it may not be 31 days every month maybe some days it's 32 some days it's 28 that's okay but it shouldn't be you know every 20 days and it shouldn't be every 60 days right that's Mm -hmm. not normal so normal cycles 25 to 35 days then based on age Okay, if you are under the age of 35, the recommendation is that, and and then there's, the recommendation is that unless you know that there's something wrong, because then this doesn't apply, right? And that's sort Mm -hmm. of where I stuttered there. Um, You know, you should expect it to take up to a year of unprotected intercourse to conceive. So if you're under 35 and you've been having unprotected intercourse for a year, not that you've been trying or doing ovulation predictor kits or mm-hmm. timing mm-hmm. out your basal body temperature and your luteal phase, just but that you've been having unprotected intercourse for a year. Yeah. You are in a good position to start thinking about a fertility evaluation because that is outside the box of quote unquote quote normal. Mm-hmm. If you're over the age of 35, right, and I'm gonna put an endpoint of about 40 on that, then at six months of not conceiving it is appropriate to go in and start asking for a fertility evaluation. Mm. And if you're age 40 and you know you want a family, just start there. Start yeah. with understanding what your fertility is. So those are some of the normal um, timelines that we think are really important for folks to know, because if you don't know that, then you end up years and years into this. And by the time you walk into someone's office, we're like, oh my goodness, right? And so yeah. we're just, you know, everybody's more stressed than, than is necessary. So that's the norm. So what are the sorts of things that might trigger you to do something sooner? So an obvious one is tubal damage. If you've had chlamydia or gonorrhea or some surgery near your fallopian tubes, you should consider going in earlier because if your tubes are blocked, waiting for a year of unprotected intercourse is a waste of your time, right? Mm -hmm. If you know you're not having normal periods or that you don't ovulate or somebody told you a long time ago that you're going to have a difficult time getting pregnant, don't wait a year. Go in and get an evaluation and see what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. 
If your partner, for some reason, knows that he's had some issues with an inguinal hernia, a varicocele, um, something else around his testicles or um, production of sperm, don't wait a year, right? So those are the sorts of things that I think are just the norms that we should be thinking about. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yes, that is like really, really good. Yeah. And for those that, you know, are listening in and they're like, you know what, this information is so good. I am already hooked. Share this podcast right now. If you know someone that needs it, you guys know me. I always tell you, don't give people candy. Don't give them flowers. Don't give them cards. Give them a podcast. Give them something that will feed their mind, their soul, and their spirit. And I think what you just, Dr. Lane, what you just said, that is huge because a lot, I even talked about this in my last podcast, where as a teen, I would have inconsistent periods. I would have um, painful periods. And then sometimes I wouldn't even have my period at all. And I just thought it was because I was an athlete. That's what my mom always said, you know, you're an athlete, you know? So that's the reason why, you know, you're not having your cycles and that's why your your periods are so painful. And I remember like having these period, pain, period, uh, painful periods all the way up until about 25, 26 years mm -hmm. old, where I would even have like nausea, headaches, or I would only have my cycle for like one or two days. Um, and so my cycle would come a lot sooner. And it was just an interesting, when you're talking about this, sometimes we're looking over things because we think they're normal, but you're exactly right. We need to find out what is normal so that we can actually compare it to what we are, um, what we are actually experiencing. And you know, menarche, which is your first period through the first couple of years, right? So maybe two years in, it's mm -hmm. okay to have a little bit of irregularity in your cycles. But okay. after that, it should really start to regulate out, right? So certainly by the time most of us are heading from high school into college or into our first jobs or what have you, we mm -hmm. should be having regular periods. In your 20s and 30s, you should be having regular periods, right? Yeah. So use that as a little bit of a, of a guide. So if you then are finding that you're not fitting into these, you know, general demographic norms that I'm describing, okay, mm -hmm. then it is time to think about getting an evaluation. So I think the next thing that's important to understand is that there are obstetrician gynecologists mm -hmm. and there are reproductive endocrinology and fertility specialists, okay? okay. Obstetrician gynecologists have done medical school and four years of training in residency in general obstetrics and gynecology, and they are outstanding at what they do but they are not subspecialists in any of the fields of, of OBGYN, which include mm. high-risk obstetricians, okay, that's a subspecialty, gynecologic oncology is a subspecialty, urogynecology is, is a subspecialty, minimally invasive surgery is, is a subspecialty, there is a contraceptive subspecialty, and mm. there is a fertility subspecialty. Okay. And so the point is, if you are needing fertility help specifically, there is nothing wrong with going to your obstetrician gynecologist if you have a relationship with them, if you're looking for a referral from them, mm -hmm. but understand that they should not be your guide for your fertility care because that mm -hmm. is not what they do, okay? okay? And there are certainly times when OBGYNs will be involved in the initial workup. They may even offer you an oral medication. Yeah. The way in which they treat a fertility cycle is going to be very different than the way in which a fertility specialist treats them. Your OBGYN is set up to see you once a year, maybe two or three times if you have a cyst or some bleeding or you know, yeah. an infection. Your fertility specialist is set up to see you as needed multiple times a cycle within the cycle to ensure that we're not missing things, right? Right. And so 
I think what's important to understand is that for most people, there isn't a barrier to you going to see a fertility specialist. Mm -hmm. So people will tell me, oh, well, I thought I had to get a referral. Oh, I didn't think I could come. Oh, mm -hmm. I didn't think my insurance is going to pay for it. Now that's true. Your insurance may not pay for it, right? Yeah. And your, but your insurance may not pay for it, period, because the lion's share of folks that are in the American healthcare system do not have fertility coverage. Like that's just the normative. Why is that? Because fertility is not considered to be an essential aspect of health. Wow. We can debate that and I'm happy to have that debate, but the reality <laughs> is that's the fact. So, you know, and I'm gonna say something that, that, that I don't like the way it sounds, but it is a fact. You do not die if you can't have a baby. Yeah. Yeah. So as a result, it's been easy for the healthcare system to sideline fertility benefits, right? And yeah. not make it a priority when we're trying to make sure that, you know, people have, I don't know, obstetrical care and flu shots and mm -hmm. you know, birth control and all these other things. And so there's a lot of societal downsides to that mindset, but in a, you know, in our society, that is the fact. Um, yeah. So as a result, one of the things that folks need to understand is that you may have to invest in your healthcare, um, both time and resource-wise, to get the care mm -hmm. that you need. And and the other thing I'll say is, the longer you wait to make that investment, the more expensive it will be for you, mm. because you will always have an easier time conceiving at a younger age than you will at an older age. So the mm -hmm. longer you delay, the more challenging it it, it becomes to actually get through that fertility treatment to get to the outcome that you're looking for. So I think wow, that's why it's really important for me that women know what are the norms, when to go seek care, and that they don't need to ask permission to go seek care. Just mm. do it, right? In the words of Nike, just do it. Yeah. You know oh, I, mean? I love that. You know, a lot of times when I even think about my journey and you're talking, I literally think about needing that permission to go and get help. And especially when you're like younger, I think for me, I just, you get in this habit where you feel like you need permission to do everything, right? And then you get your twenties and you don't need permission to do anything. So you're like almost exercising this new brain and these new habits and these new concepts for some people. And I remember being, it was so hard for me to petition for my health. And it was so hard for me to talk about my body about what I was experiencing, what was going on with it. Um, I knew something was wrong, but I just I just didn't think anything of it um, because I was just like, you know, this is normal. All women have this stuff. All women have these problems, you know? Um, I just kind of chopped it up to that. But when I would get in that, you know, OB doctor and I was talking with them about, you know, they're like, how are you doing? Instead of me saying, hey, I have some really painful, um, periods and I have a lot of migraine headaches. Why is that? Like, tell me what can I do? I would just be like, oh, everything is fine and um, everything's good and I feel great and I'm he healthy and happy, you know, but deep down I knew like you actually probably should have talked to them about that yes. because this is your body, you know, and it's something that you have to learn um, as you get older and hopefully the next generation of girls growing up, they'll know how to petition for their body a lot sooner and be more open about what they need and what's going on with them. Absolutely. So if we talk a little bit about periods, they should be about, you know, four to six or seven days, okay? Um, really, you bleed less, you know, not very much. You shouldn't be filling a pad within 30 minutes, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and 
you know, you shouldn't be disabled by your period. If you are spending a day in bed or two days in bed because of your menstrual cycles, that's not normal, right? Mm -hmm. um, there are some things that I think we've gotten better at talking about, like endometriosis, right? Yeah. But for a long time, women have struggled with really uncomfortable symptoms, debilitating symptoms that are worsening without really describing that to their physicians. So yeah, you've got to talk about these things because things like endometriosis can be impacting your fertility down the road. And if you know you've got it or you're talking about it, there are things that we can do to help decrease the rate of attrition or the decline in your fertility, right? That yeah. we can't do if we're catching it on the back end. Wow. Wow. So what are the first steps? Like if a person is like, you know what, my cycles are off, you know, maybe I've been trying for over a year now. What are the first steps that a person should take to really take control of their, their the infertility and get some answers for it? Yeah. So I would say the very first thing to do is understand your benefits. So we as um, young women and men are generally healthy. So we don't have to use our healthcare benefits. So the number of people that I talk to that really don't even know whether they have benefits to cover fertility or not, mm -hmm. like, it, you know, I'll tell you where there's, the exception to that is in the Bay Area where everybody knows what their benefits are, right? And everybody knows what their companies are, are, are you know, are covering. But that's not the norm around the world. So like get your insurance card out, call your healthcare you know, provider or call your HR and understand mm -hmm. whether you have coverage for fertility diagnosis and treatment, which means the workup or actually treatment cycles, which is different than diagnosis and treatment, right? Mm -hmm. but actually treatment cycles. Like if you need something, is your intrauterine insemination covered? Is your in vitro fertilization covered, right? So start with understanding what you've got to work with because that can also decrease your fear around wanting to go in and being afraid yeah. to have all these huge expenditures. Then again, if you have a relationship with your OBGYN and you want to start there by saying, gosh, I have some concerns, what do you think? I would never discourage anyone from doing that, right? And even if you have a primary care person, maybe you don't have an OBGYN, maybe you have just a primary care person that's an internal medicine or family practice person, whatever, go there. But here's the thing, if you're not getting the answers that you need, meaning people are not able to tell you what they think the concern is or not able to do a complete workup, which means blood work and ultrasound for the woman, semen analysis for the man, okay? If we're not able to get and, and a look at your fallopian tubes, if your OBGYN can't do that for you or your PCP can't do that for you, then move on and find a fertility specialist to do it. Like anything else, there's always the possibility that the first person you meet may not be the person that you want to work with. And that's yeah. okay. But yeah. don't not go to somebody out of fear that you haven't found the right person. And I hate to say it, we're gonna all have to learn to be a little bit resilient to the fact that you know, not every relationship is going to be a perfect match. Yeah. So, so the, the consequence of that is I, I, I want people not to feel like they have to stop because they've been so damaged by whatever that first interaction was. And yeah. it's not to excuse the interaction, but it's to say that don't let that be the next barrier to you getting the help and the care that you need. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I remember when I first um, started my process in understanding infertility and I went to my OB and I didn't have a great relationship with my OB and mm -hmm. you know 
instead of saying, hey, let's get you to a fertility specialist or um, let's um, talk about, you know, doing some blood work, figure out maybe there are certain levels in your in your body that are low. You know, we went straight to, you know, you can go do an adoption. You can do um, get an egg donor. And it was such a shock for me. And yeah. it like traumatized me. And it really, I, I really like I was already struggling with our relationship as um, a patient and um, physician. physician. And I just, at that moment, I was just like, I can't even listen to anything she's saying because she's not even trying to take this journey with me. She right. is literally just like chop and this is what it is. And some people are like that and some people like that. But at that moment, I was so surprised that we were talking about infertility. And I'm like, me, like, how do I, how am I in, like having infertility issues, you know? And the other thing is that, you know, so let me just put it out there. Anybody can have infertility issues. Okay. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't think that it isn't you, you can have infertility issues, whoever you are. Um, but you know, I think what's concerning to me about what I just heard is I heard somebody give, um, some recommendations that may have been slightly out of their scope of practice. So, you know, I get a lot of questions on social media these days, and there's some of them that I just simply say to people, I'm like, look, I, I'm not gonna do a video about that because I don't take care of that. Like, I yes. just don't take care of postpartum, you know, urinary leakage, like that's just not my thing. I don't yeah. ever see it. I don't know what the current recommendations are about it. I'm not gonna comment on it, right? Yeah. So I think that people need to, again, be really clear on the fact that there's a difference between getting a fertility recommendation from an obstetrician gynecologist and a fertility recommendation from a fertility specialist. And you need to go the extra step, go the extra mile and make sure that you're getting recommendations that are appropriate for you from the person who should be giving them, right? I love it. Don't go yeah. beat up on your OBGYN if you're asking them to do something that's slightly outside their scope of practice, right? Yeah. I think the other thing is, and I see this happen really at all levels, but we need to do a better job of listening to our patients and thinking outside of the box. Mm -hmm. um, and what I specifically mean by that is, you know, there are gonna be times when very young women can come in to see this. And I think to your point, this is one of the ways in which you got sort of tripped up. And the assumption is that, oh, she's young, she'll figure it out, she'll get there, right? Mm -hmm. There are young women who are not gonna get there unless we do something. And so until you Absolutely. work them up thoroughly, you can't make that statement. And yep. If they fall into the criteria of it's been a year, I don't care if they're 21, you have to take that seriously. Yeah. And so that means as a patient, you've got to advocate for yourself too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, this is so good. I, I'm just loving this because like now, like when I'm thinking about my journey and I know a lot of you guys are out there probably thinking about your journey too. No one ever, no one ever told me that this doctor shouldn't, you know, or this doctor may not have all the information. You need to go to a specific doctor to go to these to get what you need and really understand what's going on with your body. What's the next um, tip that you have? So now this person has, has gone through this process, so what's the next step? Well, so now they've had a fertility evaluation, okay? And again, that's blood work and ultrasound evaluation of the fallopian tubes in the female. It's a semen analysis at a minimum in the male, okay? Mm -hmm. And everything is normal. And mm -hmm. that means that means that someone's actually taken the time to go through those results with you and explain to you, well, this is what your AMH level was. This is what your antral follicle count was. Here are the parameters in your semen analysis. And now you need a treatment plan, right? Mm -hmm. So the treatment plan shouldn't just be go back and try again. 
right? Yeah. So what I'm finding sometimes is that folks come up with, and I'm speaking now really about unexplained infertility. Obviously, if something comes up, we should be treating that thing that has come up. But Absolutely. in the event of someone that's got unexplained infertility and things are looking kind of normal, that still means that there's a treatment plan. The treatment plan isn't just go back and have more sex. The mm -hmm. treatment plan needs to be, if you want to try on your own, let's come up with a timeline for that, followed yeah. by the following steps, right? And most of the time that's going to start with an oral medication and intrauterine insemination. And those two mm -hmm. things should be partnered together because unless you have male factor, doing an IUI alone will not improve your outcomes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And unless you're not ovulating, doing an oral medication alone will not improve your outcomes. And I think that's super important because I see this all the time. Those yeah. things have been done and there is statistically no improvement in outcome if you don't do not partner both male and female treatments. So medication of some form with some form of either an IUI or if the sperm requires it, an IVF cycle, right? Yeah. So I think the, the mistake that I'm seeing a lot happen is that women go in, they get their workup, they don't have a clear answer. And I'm gonna tell you, a lot of times we don't have a clear answer. We have a gut, right. know which way we think we need to head, but you've got to try some stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then they just go back into the world of trying and they resurface a year later and we're still in the same place. And now we're wanting to be more aggressive because it's been a year later and people are like, but wait, I haven't tried anything since except intercourse. And what you've lost in there is time, right? Mm. The biggest predictor of outcome is by and large a woman's age. So the longer you wait, the harder it gets. And we mm. just can't get that time back. You know what I mean? It's so true. It's yeah. so true. I mean, I think about all the steps that I've taken and I think one of the things that's so hard is when you get to that point of guessing and you don't have a person really guiding you, you do lose a lot of time and you know, each month does become more traumatic and more, um, you know, it just impacts your mentality of like, you know, putting all this unnecessary pressure. I remember for those, this might be PMI, but you know how we do here on the learning project, we're going to get real. So, <laughs> you know, there's always this joke about, you know, that time when you ovulate, how you're like, okay, we got to have sex this day. We have to do it like this. We have to go right here. I'm going to drink this. I'm going to eat this. You need to eat this. Like my husband had got to the point where he was just like, Stephanie, we cannot do it any more, okay? We literally, we have literally done everything that we possibly do. I am not, I don't know what else to tell you. Like literally we just need to wait. But for me, I was just so like crazy. Like every morning I took my temp to make sure, see where my temperatures were. Did I ovulate? Um, I use an Ava band. I use, um, uh, there is a, a little device, I cannot think of the name right now, but it's brand new. You pee on the stick and it tells you exactly where your LH numbers are. And I mean, I'm doing all this stuff, peeing on little sticks. Am I ovulating? Am I not? Like it becomes so obsessive because you know that you're on a timeline and you know that if you don't do everything or if you think you don't do everything, it's not going to happen. And then you do all this stuff and then it doesn't happen anyway. And so it's, it was, no, it, it was just so, I, when you're talking about this, like when you're talking about that time part, it is so, it is, it becomes a real obsession. It becomes a real thing and it becomes like almost, um, it over basically takes over your entire life. Well, I, I think 
what I wanted to say to that is two things. One, I think part of what happens is a loss of control. And part mm. of what happens is an increase in fear, right? Mm-hmm. And the fertility, and now I'm not talking about the fertility doctors and so forth, but really the fertility world preys upon both of those things, right? Mm. So basal body temperatures, ovulation predictor kits, like, you know, 8 billion different fertile vitamins, like all this stuff. And I'm not going to sit here and say that there isn't any utility to any of that, but I want to go back to what I said at the beginning, which is the definition of subfertility, I'm not even going to say infertility, is 12 months of unprotected intercourse, right? Hmm. Under 35, six months above, right? It never talks about ovulation predictor kits and basal body temperatures and that. And it's not, again, it's not that there's a problem with doing those things, but understand that what people are sinking into is this desire to need to control something and this fear that it's not going to work as opposed to it being an effective way of actually conceiving. Mm. I am not gonna change the fact that women are going to do that. I would be exactly like that if I was in that <laughs> position. I get it, like I really do. I, can, I still have all the pregnancy tests that I took forever kid and I took many of them right so I get all that but it's important to recognize intellectually if you can step back for a second that yeah. those are not the things that are making or breaking your ability to get pregnant they're just not right? I love it okay. I love it I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I know so many people like you miss your temperature for that day or you miss something it's literally it causes you to panic it causes yeah. you to cry I remember breaking down one morning because I was so sick of doing all these steps every single morning and I'm such a database person like I love numbers I love yeah. you know being able to print my little sheets out and look yeah. at them and I'm like but you're absolutely right it's all about that trying to gain control because infertility is something that you cannot control right. you know it's just something out of your hands um and you really have to take certain steps to figure out what you need to do so um what's the next step um Dr. Lane so you know so now you've been in now you have a treatment plan right Mm -hmm. and you know and and you're going to start that treatment plan and you're going to understand the percentages that go along with the treatment plan that you've taken on right yeah so I think that's important too because um sometimes folks will do a series of IUIs not be successful with them Mm -hmm. and really um, upset about how long it's taken and yeah. really deflated about being able to move on to the next step, but they've done something that really has a very minimal success rate. That doesn't yeah. mean you didn't try IUIs. I mean, good Lord, if you can get pregnant with an IUI and you can bypass all the rest of the stuff that we do, that's yeah. fantastic, right? But, right. But, but if you don't realize that you've done something that has an 18, 20% success rate compared to things that are out there that actually have a, you know, 75 to 80% success rate. And that's yeah. a huge difference that people need to really take seriously. Um, and so I think understanding what you're doing and understanding how likely it is to be successful helps you manage your own expectations mm-hmm. so that you're not deflated at every outcome. Yeah. So what, you know, one of the things that you said that's really interesting, you know, we always talk about IUI and IVF. Like, Mm -hmm. what are the other treatment plans out there that people can actually do that are in between that? Or do you really recommend people, you know, I I, I mean, not really, can't really recommend, but, um, you know, what are those treatment plans? Because I remember just hearing about IUI, IVF, that's it. Because that's all we have. I mean, realistically, okay. Mm -hmm. What we have 
to help people conceive that truly have a fertility issue are increasing the number of eggs that we can release in a month to increase the chances of getting to a healthy egg faster mm -hmm. and putting sperm closer to the egg, either mm -hmm. by putting it into the uterus and letting it swim or by somehow making egg and sperm touch which means either Invisel, which is the little device you can stick in your vagina, or in vitro fertilization. Mm -hmm. That's all we've got, right? Now, wow. there are things we can do to for ourselves that will help. So for example, we're in California and you know, marijuana is all about, mm -hmm. stop taking marijuana. And it's gonna take three months before that's out of your system and that your sperm is improving, right? Yeah. Sperm function declines with the use of marijuana, right? Mm. I got reamed on social media for this, but there is data that body mass index decreases will improve ovulation. So yeah. if you are a polycystic ovary syndrome person and you are not ovulating, and many of, many of our patients can track as their weight went up when their ovulation stopped, right? Yeah. We've got to get back to diet and exercise and put you in your peak physical fitness state so that you actually can, you know, be in a position where not only are you ovulating, but when we put an embryo in, we've got a very receptive environment that isn't going to increase in terms of risk of gestational diabetes, gestational hypertension, you know, macrosomia of the baby, things like that, right? Yeah. Those are, those are some of the sorts of things that we can be helping with to improve outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of actual treatments, and I mean like what we can give out as a prescription, monitor as a, you know, as a, as a cycle and, mm -hmm. um, and do to help improve likelihood of egg and sperm meeting, yeah. we have those few things. That's wow. it, right? Wow. And so when people are coming to you saying, this is our recommendation as a first step, it, it often seems for people that it's a big first step, but the reality is we don't, we don't, we don't have anything else. All wow. we're doing with fertility treatments really is rolling the dice and increasing the odds that you're gonna win, right? I love that you That's explained that. Okay. I, I, lo I love that you explained that because for so long, like I just felt like, okay, they're just pushing this on me because they don't want to dive deeper. They don't want to do this. They don't, and it kind of makes you have like this weird relationship with your doctor. And it's like, no, really, what you just said me, no one's ever said me. Like, really, there is nothing else out there. Um, you know, there are, those are the treatment plans that most fertility specialists have. And I mean, I don't know any that anyone else has, right? So, you know, right. look, we can transplant a uterus, we can, you know, get very technological. And in some countries, not yet in the US, we can take cytoplasm from one egg and put it into another egg and make it better. You know, yes, we've got surrogacy, we've got egg donation, we've got sperm donation, but really what we're trying, what we, which also means it's not a silver bullet. It's not a guarantee because yeah. we are changing your DNA of your eggs or changing the DNA of the sperm. We are literally just taking these things and trying to increase the likelihood that we can put more of them together Together in a given time frame and get you pregnant faster wow. because what we're trying to beat is the rate of decline of your own ovarian function right mm -hmm. so in other words we can maybe do an IVF cycle I'm jumping sort of to an extreme and get 12 yeah. eggs right and mm -hmm. make 12 embryos it would take your body a year to do that so mm -hmm. in the span of one month we can achieve what your body would achieve in a year without the decline that you would have in terms of egg quality in that same year right okay. That's right. all we're trying to do with fertility treatments, okay? And the wow. reason that IVF works better is because we optimize that the egg and the sperm are going to meet. We we ensure that fertilization has occurred. 
we are, you know, able to biopsy an embryo and see that it's genetically normal. We can prep the uterine lining to like a, a, a specific amount and then we can put the embryo in. And so, yeah, of course it's going to work 78% of the time because we've done everything to make sure that that happens. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. The way you just explained that, you guys, the way Dr. Lane just explained that, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that explanation like that, but you broke that down in such a, like a simple way, but it helps your brain connect to yeah. why the conversations are happening the way they are. Because a lot of times when we don't have that explanation, just because we always feel like, oh, well, you know, we can just do this or we could just do that. Or, you know, you could do this. It's not as simple as that. And I mean, to think about the odds of what you just said and how, um, how people have done this piece of science to make, to ensure you get further along. I mean, that was a very powerful, very powerful piece. And that's why so people much. are freezing their eggs, right? So the yeah. idea behind egg freezing is that we know that your best eggs were yesterday. There's just no way <laughs> that, right? I mean, wherever you are in your life, your best quality eggs happened the day before, okay? Wow. And, and wow. Let, me, let me go back to birth. You made all the eggs that you were gonna have when you were about 20 weeks as a fetus in your mom. That's wow. all you were gonna get. And from that time, till the time of menopause, you lose eggs without ever making them again. And oh, by the way, your eggs are that old. So the idea behind freezing eggs in women is that you stop and you hold in place that fertility at whatever that peak is, so that then when you wanna go and use them 10 years down the road or five years down the road, you're still working with eggs that were five or 10 years younger, right? Wow, yeah. But they a higher percentage of them are going to be normal. So let's talk about normal, right? So. If you're making embryos, whether you make them through IVF or they're in your uterus, doesn't really matter, okay? If you're making embryos under the age of 35, probably about 60 to 70% of them are going to be genetically normal, right? Mm -hmm. And most miscarriage and non-pregnancy is because our bodies just were unable to make a genetically normal pregnancy between the egg and the sperm, right? Right. So by the time you hit 35, you're down to about 50%, right? Mm -hmm. By the time you hit 38, you're down to about 30%. By the time you hit 40, you're down to about 17%. Wow. And almost all of that, with rare exception, is an egg issue, okay? <laughs> it's not that sperm doesn't matter. Believe me, there are times in which we can see very abnormal sperm. I have a patient now, we're using sperm from a, a situation where he was on life support at the time, and before he passed, we, we were able to get a sperm, and his parents have made the decision to have kids. Okay, guess what? there's a lot of abnormal sperm in there, right? Wow. Because that was a very stressed and extreme situation that that's what exactly under, under. But nine times out of 10, we're, we're, we're really trying to overcome the egg situation because we have a lot of sperm to work with, right? Mm. And so the sooner you can think about having your children and facilitate a way to freeze that in time, whether it's because you actually had the kids or because you froze the embryos or because you froze the eggs or because you started treatment, the easier it's going to be for you to conceive. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting that you're talking about this because we were talking about a few things before uh, we started the podcast and we were talking about um, donor eggs. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the conversations that happened with me when I first um, started on my journey to have a little one was my doctor who literally had said, you know, um, you could get a donor egg but it's gonna be really hard for you because you're black, your husband's black. And um, in our area, um, it's 
basically all the eggs are from um, white people. You might have a couple of biracial people, but your baby's not going to like look like you. And you know, you might need to go to Seattle to actually get an egg donor that is black. And I was like, this is the first time that I have ever heard this in my entire life. So again, you know, I'm 25, um, you know, try, trying to plan a family. This conversation gets thrown out and I'm like, what in the world? Like, what in the world? I am not getting the egg from somebody else. That's someone else's child. I'm not doing that. I mean, there was no real conversation or a lead up to that. And so um, I was talking to Dr. Danielle about this. And if you want to just share a little bit about what we were talking about, women in infertility and women of color and egg donors. The first thing is, I, I just, you know, with all due respect to your physician, I don't know how you lead with 25 <laughs> needing an egg donor. In, in, I just, I don't even know how you get there, right? But there are definitely people who have premature ovarian failure and they will need an egg donor, even at yeah. age 25. It just doesn't feel like that's what you presented with. And so I'm, a, I'm not sure I have a good answer for how you got there that quickly. Yeah. That notwithstanding, one of the conversations that we were having and one of my passions is that we do not have enough diversity in our egg donor pool. There have been a variety of, and you know, now I want to speak specifically to the women of color that are on this podcast. There have been a variety of scenarios that have led to the belief that women of color either won't use an egg donor, don't have the resources to do an egg donor IVF cycle or a gestational surrogate and their surrogacy cycle. And therefore the agencies or the clinics have not gone the extra mile to identify women of color who want to be an egg donor. So by the way, if you're out there and you're a woman of color and you want to be an egg donor, please reach out to me because we are building our database. It's so important. If you have a friend who you think would be a good candidate and wants to do it, please reach out to us. Yes. It's important. The, the, the comment that that physician made is also troubling to me because I will tell you that 90% of the egg donors that we work with don't live in the area that we are in. They mm. get their monitoring done someplace else. They come in for a retrieval and they leave or we go through a cycle with them, freeze their eggs and we keep them on site. So the idea that like there was not any effort put into helping you find what you needed. I'm also laughing at Seattle because Seattle's a lot like San Francisco and that's not where your African-American egg donor is coming from anyway. But, <laughs> um, but the idea that there was not somebody putting effort into helping you identify that person is concerning, right? Um, and it's very similar in the Hispanic population. We do not have a lot of Hispanic donors. Um, we do not have a lot of, uh, we, we actually have a larger population of families that would like to use an egg donor, but mm -hmm. it's the same scenario. Folks have not been willing to, you know, sort of go out and, and, and ensure that their agencies are, you know, really diverse, yeah. right? And we know it can be done. We know it can be done. It's just people haven't taken the time. So this is one of my passions. So again, if you want to be an egg donor, please reach out. Oh, I, I love that you, you you brought this up because it was the first time that I had ever heard like why, like some of the whys and what makes it so hard. And so what do you feel are the biggest challenges for women of color to seek help yeah. when it pertains to infertility? 
There are a couple. I mean, I think culturally we don't talk about fertility very much. Um, you know, I am a fertility doctor and my mother still maintains that, you know, if I just waited long enough, it would have been fine because there's no fertility issues in our family. And I'm like, you do know I do this for a living, right? Like sometimes <laughs> I have to remind anyway. So yeah. I think culturally it's something that we talk about, right? We just sort of, you know, we chalk it up to, to your statement earlier. It's either God's will or we're going to go to church and pray on it. And you can do all of those things. Just know that there are actually treatments available. Right? Absolutely. So I think that's one thing. I think a second thing is when we walk into an office, and, and I say this both with um, real agitation, but also with concern. Um, you know, I now talk to women from all over the country because people reach out to me on social media. And the stories that I've heard of folks coming in, asking for help, and completely being almost ignored is... Mm -hmm. I don't even really know what to do with it because it's just beyond my capacity to think that you go into a physician, you say the things that you're saying to me and the physician just doesn't do anything. Yep. Um, so some of that is because I think, you know, people don't listen to our stories and our history. Yeah. And the other piece is that there's this assumption that we don't have the resources to do the care. Look, hmm. there are a lot of people all over this country, black, white, Latina, you know, Asian, pick your, pick your ethnicity that don't have resources to do fertility care. Okay. Yeah. That's a given because fertility care is too darn expensive, mm -hmm. but let's not make the assumption that there are not African-Americans or folks of, you know, Hispanic background or, you know, other backgrounds that wouldn't be able to do the care if somebody even offered it to them. Right. So I think we have to do a better job of you know, going in there and feeling comfortable with asking for the care we need. We have to do a better job of leaving a, a, a place that isn't offering us the care we need. And that's the other thing that we don't do well, right? Yeah. I will say that um, people in the U.S. in general are, you know, I mean, we have all these little health insurance cards. We walk in and somebody gives us care. Like, that's right. just not how it works. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't work that way across the board. I've been mm -hmm. both a patient and a provider, and I have to advocate for my kids' care harder for all the same reasons that other women of color are advocating for their care, even though my husband and I are both physicians. Mm -hmm. But if you know that you need a certain personality, cultural fit, whatever it is for your care, don't be, don't feel like you are bounded by the little area that you live in, right? Yeah. Take, yeah. The, take the initiative to work with somebody that is going to meet your needs, whether they are next door or in California, because I promise you that will not be the thing that changes the price point of your care or the, because, you know, if somebody is not listening to you, you are not getting what you need. And back to exactly. the point I made earlier, the longer it takes you to get the care you need, the more expensive it's going to be, both in terms of finances, emotions, just overall resources, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do it, jump in. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting that you're talking about this because now we're in a generation where people are having children a lot later, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember when my husband and I, you know, we got married, we've been married for 11 years and we, a year into our marriage, I stopped using birth control and I was like, you know, if we get pregnant, we get pregnant, we're married, whatever. Um, but I'll never forget when we actually got married at 25, we were like, we really don't have anything. And we just got kicked off our parents' insurance. Like it just got real. Yep. And we knew like we had to do everything possible, one, to break the cycle of poverty in our family. Yep. Um, we're, my mom and my dad, they were able to break that cycle, but you have to maintain that for a couple yes. of generations, generations. Yes. in order for it to over. actually 
you right. know, actually sustain. So, you know, my husband was like, you know, I'm going to go to school and you're going to go to school. We're going to, you know, do everything we possibly can to, you know, um, you know, get into these fields that we love and we're passionate about. We're going to make all these right decisions. Yeah. You know, um, you know, even I would talk about, you know, we talked about, you know, not getting pregnant as a teen because you didn't want to be a teen parent. You don't want to get pregnant in college because then you're going to mess up your college. And then, you know, you get married and you're like, okay, let me wait a couple years so we can buy a house, you know, get a car and do all these things. And then all of a sudden you're ready to have a child and you're like, now it's hard. Now what's happening? You know, yeah. all this time has passed. And, um, you know, it's, it can be frustrating because you're like, you feel like you did everything the right way. And it's now become a huge obstacle for you um, as you've gone through this journey and you are trying to figure out what what we're, what's next. You know, um, we were definitely getting ready to do IVF. We were getting ready to mortgage our home. And um, because we were like, we want this so bad, um, you know, and we know that it's going to be harder because now I'm 30, I'm, I'm 36. And so, you know, it just makes such a huge difference hearing and talking with you about, you know, um, having children later. So do you recommend like if a person is older, uh, maybe they want to focus on their career, they don't want to have children to freeze their eggs? Because this was a conversation I actually had with a friend of mine. She was like, I know I'm going to be a, 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 a parent that's a lot older because I want to finish um, my doctorate degree in yeah. pharmacy and I want to finish this. I want to do this. And we all know the sacrifice sometimes women make versus men. Right. And she knew that just in her relationship she would have to make the sacrifice so um, what is your thoughts about that and sure. so first I want to just touch back on what you said and then I will come to this you know I agree with you I think that um, and I'm only going to speak to the African-American experience because that's the one I know we are still in a situation where we are generationally um, economically in many cases a generation behind many of our colleagues that are not you know the same right I mean there are lots of people that own homes in San Francisco we don't but everybody that we know that owns a home in San Francisco got help from somebody to make that happen right mm -hmm. and so, yeah it's a it's it is definitely a scenario where at least in the African-American community we are fighting on multiple fronts to be successful and maintain success generationally um, I also think that if you I think that as providers of care for African-American patients, and by the way, for I do this for all my patients, but certainly for African-American patients, we're super sensitive to that. And we are like constantly trying to find ways that we can minimize costs, decrease costs. I don't want anybody to mortgage their home to do IVF. Like mm. I realize it happens, but I don't want anyone to be in that position, right? That's why mm. things like Invacel are so awesome because they're less expensive and maybe you don't have to mortgage your home and you can get mm. there, right? So I, I think that's where it becomes useful to really reach out and branch out and make sure you're getting the care that you need yeah. in the way that you need it. Um, and just because they're bigger doesn't mean that they're going to be able to accommodate that better, right? Mm -hmm. So I just want to point that out. Um, all right. So in terms of egg freeze and embryo banking, um, and I'm going to comment on both because if you're a single woman, egg freezing makes a lot of sense. Hmm. You can freeze your eggs, keep them, know that you're going to have them to use down the road. And it's a little bit less expensive. It's about half the cost of making an embryo and banking it. And so that might be the right thing if you're a single woman. But if you're a young married couple, um, you know, embryo banking, meaning you actually take the full uh, embryo and freeze it after sometimes testing it, mm -hmm. may make more sense because now you know not just that you have numbers of eggs, but that you actually have a genetically normal 
embryo, right? Okay. And so I think depending on where you are in your relationship status, right? You may choose one or the other of those. You know, the Bay Area sees a tremendous amount of that because, of course, every tech company under the sun has offered those benefits. And so, mm. you know, Google, Facebook, you know, Salesforce, all of them, LinkedIn, whatever, those those folks have really good access to that sort of care mm -hmm. and, they're, and, and they make use of it. I mean, we yeah. probably do more banking here than virtually anywhere in the country because wow. folks have access to resources to do that. Mm -hmm. um, if you are not in a position where you have access to resources to do that, then you have to get a little creative, right? Mm -hmm. so sometimes folks are freezing their eggs and they are, I've seen some um, places do shared cycles. So they'll, uh, maybe they want to be an egg donor, but instead of taking money for that, they'll freeze some of their eggs or they'll do a cycle of, of, of their own eggs and a cycle of donation of eggs. Um, mm -hmm. You know, make sure that you're, you're okay with donating eggs. Don't just do that to get your eggs frozen if you're not okay with donating eggs. But if yeah. you are, like, there's some access for you, right? Um, or they are uh, looking at ways that they can, you know, make payments over time so that they can, you know, freeze those eggs and then, um, you know, pay over some period of time. But yeah, I mean, if you can find a way to uh, freeze your tissue in advance, you should do it, right? You should do it because if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a business person or a whatever, pick your career that takes, you know, an astronaut, whatever, it's going to be years before you're ready to have kids. And yeah. while society has changed in terms of where it wants to have children, biologically, we haven't changed since, you know, hundred, hundreds of years, right? Mm -hmm. 1600s, we have data on that it shows the same curve as the 1900s. Hmm. Wow. Um, you know what, you guys, I don't know about y'all, but I have been enjoying this conversation. This has been so good for me. And I think for some people that are going through infertility or have gone through infertility, you need some closure on pieces and like you need to have like things answered so that you can kind of close certain chapters of your journey because it it impacts you, you know? You think that something's being done, you think there's being something said and those interpretations are all according to what we are or thinking or going through. But when you have somebody like really leading you and talking with you and coaching you through, I absolutely love this. Dr. Lane, you talked about, you know, coaching a lot of people all over the country. This was huge for me because my next step, um, a lot of you guys know I left my job. My job was so stressful. I loved my job and I was obsessed with my job and I was good at my job. And I was like, I this is what I love doing. I love working with kids. I love working with families. I want to make a difference and an impact in my community. But it came to a point where I had to make a decision about, okay, I have to get to a point because now I'm 35 at the at the time and I'm like, I have to make a decision about where I want my family to grow and where I want to be at because now I'm at that point and I have to make this decision. And so, you know, I, I decided to leave my job. I decided to find a new doctor. I love that you talked about petitioning for a doctor. Right now, COVID has set a lot of people free, meaning like, you know what, we realized we don't have to go to our local, you know, doctor or our local clinic. We can go somewhere else and we can get the same patient care, if not better, somewhere else. I decided to um, look in LA and start working with another doctor. Um, and she was phenomenal. Um, she coached me through Zoom and was like, hey, this is what you need to do. She took all these different blood samples that no one else had took. She found out that I had was low in vitamin um, and 
B6, B12. Um, she found that I was low in my vitamin B. I mean, she was like, did anybody talk to you about this? And I'm like, no. And she was like, okay, we need to get you on something different. We need to get a plan going. Um, everybody knows I talk about acupuncture a lot. We'll have my acupuncturist on here pretty soon. She talked about vitamin B shots and um, talked to my doctor out in California about it. And she was like, do the vitamin B shots changed my life um, once I actually I felt a difference in my energy level everything and so um, you know saying all of that to get to this point which is our lives are not mapped out we may have an idea what we want and fertility can really put a huge or infertility can put a huge um, wrench in our plan what we're trying to do um, and how we're trying to do it and I, I love that Dr. Lane she coaches people all over and that is something that I want you guys to hear and know that there are people out there that are passionate about you about your family about your life about your body and they're out there now and if you don't feel like you're getting what you need in your area your local area the skies are the limit at this point um, for you to be able to choose someone that you connect with and will really help you to figure out what the next steps um, would be and to be clear it's not it's also not a new model in fertility. Hmm. And I think that's important, right? Remember earlier yeah. I said donors can be all over the country. Most donors aren't in, in the place that, you, you know, like if I'm looking for an African-American donor, I guarantee you I'm not going to find them in San Francisco. There just, wow. like, there just aren't that many young people in San Francisco, period, mm -hmm. right? And so um, we've always been in a situation where we would send outside monitoring orders to another clinic and have them do the work. Next week, I'm having somebody get an endometrial biopsy done in New Jersey that I've been working wow. on. Right? So, you know, the, the model's there. It works. I think we did talk about this. You have to be willing to put your money where your mouth is in terms of your care, right? Yes. You know, I mean, long ago I had a friend who um, who is not of color who said to me, you know, buy one less dress, get one less manicure, you know, go on one less fancy dinner and make sure that the things that you need in your household or in your health are taken care of, right? Yes. And, you know, it seems very logical, but yet we don't actually commit to that, right? Mm -hmm. It's worth it. If, 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 if having a family is important to you and it's not working and you're not happy with the care you're doing, getting, do something different. Don't keep Absolutely. doing the same thing, right? Definition of insanity. Don't do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Oh, you guys, I, I know we can go on and on, but we are getting to the end of our podcast. Dr. Lane, what advice would you, or what's one last piece of advice that you want to give to our listeners before we end our podcast? I think for anyone who's out there that's either concerned or worried about their fertility or feels like they still don't have all the answers, you know, I, I, it's a call to action to please take a step and find a new partner in your fertility journey, right? I don't care if it's like another doctor in the same practice. I don't care if it's a second opinion across the country. I don't really care, but find, make sure that the person that's partnering with you to get you through this process is a good fit for you. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that we all can do. Um, get out of your comfort zone. Like don't just stay with somebody because like you've been doing it. If it's not working, shake it up, do something different. This is too important. It's too important. Thank you so much. You guys, don't worry. We will have Dr. Lane's 
all her information right below this podcast, you guys. I hope you have enjoyed this. I hope this podcast has sent you so much strength and love because you guys, you know, it has done me so good today. I am so grateful. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule, Dr. Lane. It is so rich. And for those that don't know, please go on LinkedIn. All her social media platforms will be right below. Follow, 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 learn, educate, share. You know, you never know who's going through what. And just that simple video or that simple message or that simple word just gets to that person and it resonates with them and it sets them free. You guys, thank you so much again. I want to thank you for joining me here at The Learning Project. Until next time, sending you strength and love. See you guys soon. Bye.